What's up, Ascent family? How we doing today? Good, okay, see, I feel like I don't need to do my even little PSA thing anymore. Um, if you are new in the house or new online or you're visiting for the first time, my name is Aisha. I get to serve as the prayer pastor here. And y'all, this past Thursday, I wanna say was my favorite holiday, but you know, I feel like I can't let Thanksgiving outbeat the birth of Jesus on Christmas. So I'm gonna say my second favorite holiday is Thanksgiving, and I love being able to be with my family and my family. Did y'all catch that? That's my friends that are like family, and just be in their presence. But if I'm honest, what I really love is the food. It's the food for me, y'all. I get to eat a lot of uh, eat a lot of my favorite dishes that my husband actually cooks that involve a lot of butter, that involve a lot of sugar, that involve a lot of cheese, you know, stuff you shouldn't be eating every day, but I kind of want to. I'm still eating my leftovers. And um, I felt myself when I woke up on Thanksgiving morning like, Aisha, don't overdo it pace yourself. It's okay. You don't have to get crazy. And as I was, you know, thinking about this, then I realized what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus is the bread of life, not the salad, not the vegetable. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy myself, live my best life. Um, I love food, y'all. We can just have a whole conversation about food, God's creation. I am grateful. But on a serious note, um, Thanksgiving just makes me really pause when I wake up and just go down a list of so many things that I'm thankful for. And one of those things I actually want to highlight and show you a picture of, and that is our prayer team. Y'all, our prayer team, this is a picture of a Friendsgiving that we got to do. There's a few people um, that are missing, but there's such a group of amazing people they are committed to pray on Sundays up here beside the stage, um, on the prayer room. They pray over the prayer requests that we receive online. And I don't think all of you know this, but a lot of them have been praying for and over Ascent since the beginning that Ascent became a church. And even long before I became the prayer pastor. So I know I sound like a broken record, but prayer team, I appreciate you all so much. And I say it a lot because I mean it. So shout out to y'all. Um, there's another group of people and shout out to my girl, Win uh, Whitney, I don't know where she is right now, but she touched on something that God has just been putting on my heart as it pertains to the holiday season. And I know for some of you in this room, some of you that are watching online, Thanksgiving was a hard and heavy day. There was a quote that I kept seeing on Thanksgiving um, that really helped me formulate some thoughts that I've been thinking about. For some of you, Thanksgiving is the first holiday with an empty chair around your table because of the loss of a loved one, a loss of a grandparent, a loss of a parent. <sighs> I even think of those of you who had a miscarriage, lost a child. You lost a close friend that would normally celebrate holidays with you. And then I think about for others, that, that empty chair at their table symbolizes someone that they wish they celebrated Thanksgiving with. Like those of us who have strained relationships with our parents, with our siblings, with our children. 
And I know everybody that is single does not desire to be married, but I know that there are some that are single and Thanksgiving was a reminder that the spouse that I deeply desire is still not in my life. I'm just glad that wasn't my phone. That's all right. I got a little nervous. Where's my phone? Cool, cool. Stay focused, girl. I needed that because that Logan's video would be pulling on my heartstrings, so I'm going to reel it on back. And then I also started to think about some people who, because of COVID and traveling complications and distance, that maybe you spent Thanksgiving alone. Or maybe you were surrounded with people, but you still felt alone. And for many of those reasons, I know the holidays can be hard and heavy. And those are the two words that have just been on my heart and just playing on a loop in my mind. So as a church, we wanted to make sure that we hold space for those of you that can relate to that. So next Sunday, December 5th, we are going to be having a Catalyst Conversations that is going to be on the topic of lament. And if you don't know what Catalyst Conversation is, it simply is conversations that serve to be a catalyst to your relationship with God, to your intimacy with God. And lament is a spiritual practice where we pour out our pain to God. It's, it's a prayer in pain where we turn to God and it's something that we need a regular rhythm of. So whether you're someone that the holidays feel heavy for you, or it's not even the holidays, it's just the season that you are in right now, you got some grief, you got some things that are weighing on you, or maybe you're just curious and want to learn more about lament, I invite you to join us. Okay, I said what I needed to say before I said anything else. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to fellowship, to worship, to learn from your word. We thank you for the technology to listen and join in online. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who sees us. You know what we carry in our heart. You know what we are wrestling with in this very moment. God, I pray that you would speak to us in those areas, that you would remind us of what your word says. You tell us to cast our cares upon you because you care so much for us. So God, in this moment, we desire to have our ears open and our hearts open so that we may be fully present to what you have to say to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to me and speak through me. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray, amen. So y'all, we have been in a series these past few weeks called Mind Games, and we're looking at what the Bible has to say about our minds and our thoughts. And there's a thought that Maurice shared week one, but because I'm his wife and I got like a little more stuff, I'm gonna elaborate on that. Maurice said that our thought life impacts our spiritual life. And that is true, but our thought life also impacts our everyday life. That's why it's so important that we know what scripture says, know what Jesus says, because Jesus is our example on how to have a healthy thought life. How do we engage in the, in the mind games, in the battlefield of our mind? And if I give you a quick rapid overview, uh, the first week we talked about the power of contemplative prayer. 
Then we talked about the power of gratitude. Then we talked about the power of taking our thoughts captive and bringing them into the obedience of Christ. There's a lot of things that I could say, but there is one thing that as I've just been praying and asking God, what do you want your people to know? What do you want us to know as we end this series? I just feel he made very clear to me. So today, we are going to be talking about the power of focusing on truth. The power of focusing on truth. Now, as I say that, some of you are probably like, okay, Aisha, well, what do you mean by truth? Define that. And I'm like, okay, hold on, wait a second, don't attack me with those questions, let me flip it on you. How do you define truth? And if we took time and I asked every single one of you, I'm sure I'd get a variety of answers. So upon my research, I stumbled upon this helpful chart called the Four Truths, which really just represents the various ways that we can define truth. So the first one is objective truth. It is truth that exists and can be proved. Um, an example of this is the sun moves across the sky. Yes, yes. Normative truth. It's what we as a group agree, agree on. Those of us in this room, those of us that are, you know, English speakers in America, we would say that when the sun is in the sky, it's daytime. And if you don't think that, let's talk about that after this message. The next thing that I feel is like the most familiar to me is subjective truth. It's how the individual sees or experiences the world. This is our perspective, our feelings, and our opinion. Today is a good day for me. But complex truth? Complex truth recognizes the validity of all these truths and allows you to focus on the one that is most useful at any given time. Some of you have heard these before, but I want us to listen to how Jesus defines truth. He says this in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus gives us a simplified definition by saying that he is truth. So when we talk about the power of focusing on truth, in essence, I'm saying the power of focusing on Jesus. Did you know that there are over 50 names and titles used to describe Jesus in scripture? But as it pertains to focusing on truth, there is one title of Jesus that we are going to be anchored in today. And John, I feel like, is like my assistant in this sermon because I'm using a lot of the things that he has written. Let's see what John says in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word made flesh. This is what we celebrate during the Christmas season, and honestly, it's something that we should celebrate in every season, Emmanuel, God with us. So as I'm talking about the power of focusing on truth, what I mean even more specifically is focusing on scripture. I said earlier that objective truth is something that can be proved. Well, Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. One of my favorite scriptures, Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. That's the kind of truth I'm talking about, y'all. So now that we are all on the same page, I want to do a quick exercise with all of you. I'm sure the majority of you in this room, and even if you're watching online, um, you can chime in, you can type in the chat or just amongst yourselves. But I want to play two quick rounds of Two Truths and a Lie. Y'all played this before? Yes, 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 okay. So they're gonna put three things up on the screen, and y'all know I like when you talk back, so just tell me the one that you think is a lie. One, I love Raisinets. Two, I am 5'7". Three, my favorite show is This Is Us. Why y'all laugh, though? Why y'all laugh? It's rude, it's So which one is a lie? Two. Y'all said that with such confidence. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I am a strong 5'2 on a good day. I can tell you what my license says. That's fine. That's easy. Round one. Okay. Next, round two. Mm-hmm. One, I can't hold my breath underwater. Two, I dislike snow tubing. And three, I don't mind sitting in traffic. Which one's a lie? Ooh, y'all sound a bit confused. Which one is it? I hear every number. Chris, you are so confident. You holding up that peace sign, brother. I see you. I see you. Um, I know I bash a lot on the snow, and I tell y'all how much I don't like it. And so many of you here check on me, like, Aisha, you okay? It's snowing on Wednesday. You good? And I'm like, no, no, I'm not. But number two is actually the lie, y'all. I don't like a lot of things in the snow. I prefer to be home warm, but I actually really like snow tubing. So if you want to invite me, I will come to that. But as soon as I'm done, immediately cabin, immediately warm space, like no socializing. And I chose this exercise, one, because it's fun, two, because I like when y'all talk back to me, but three, because I think this exercise showed us the challenge that we face sometimes as we try to distinguish a truth from a lie. Now, there is an enemy. Bill talked about this last week. And there's three things that I wrote about the enemy as I was preparing this message. Said the enemy is sneaky, the enemy is studious, and the enemy is strategic. We talked, um, I mentioned earlier that Jesus has over 50 names that described him. The enemy ain't got that many because he ain't all that. But one of his names is that he is the father of lies. And one of the greatest temptations we face as believers is to believe the lies of the enemy, to believe the lies that the enemy suggests to us. So right now, I wanted to compare and contrast an encounter that the enemy, who in this moment is a serpent, has with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, and then I also wanna compare his encounter with Jesus in Matthew 4. And because, y'all, when I tell you God is so personal and I be studying and I'm like, no TV, no social media, only you. And then he just brings up things that make me laugh, like only you would do this. Only you would take me back to my childhood when I used to watch, is it WWF wrestling? Do y'all remember that? That's where Dwayne Johnson, you laugh and you feel that one. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, that's where he got his humble beginnings. And I started seeing these images and I started looking up The Rock and Rakishi and, and Stone Cold and all these people. And I just kind of want to compare and contrast these two scriptures 
in essence, if they were in a round, in, in essence, if they were in a ring, there's going to be two rounds that I'm going to look at for the most part. So Adam and Eve versus the serpent, Genesis 3. Round one, the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's an obvious lie. Just like you guys pointed out on round one, you were like, Aisha, you are not 5'7". Stop dreaming, girl. That's the same thing. Eve corrects the serpent. She clarifies. She was like, of course not. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's just that one right there in the middle. That one we can't touch. Then Eve actually quotes to the serpent what God told Adam in the previous chapter. Eve says that we are not supposed to eat it or touch it, and if we do it, we will die. So round one, Eve got that. Round two, the enemy responds by saying, oh no, you won't die. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And this kind of just takes me back to a lot of you guys in round two. You were like, mm, I don't know. The truth is not as clear, although Eve just quoted what God said. There was no confusion in her mind what God said. Now she's like, hmm, well, oh, okay. And verse six really troubles me because it says, the woman was convinced. She became convinced that a lie was the truth. And she defeated the first attempt, but was persuaded by the second attempt. Family, if I can ask you all this question right now, what truth of God has the enemy convinced you is a lie? What truth of God has the enemy convinced you is a lie? For some of you, that lie is that prayer doesn't work. God doesn't hear your prayers. And y'all, there is so many scriptures that tell us otherwise. They tell us that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. There's so many Psalms this month in November, we are reading Psalms as a church. So many Psalms talk about, I cried out to my God and he heard my cry. I cried and he answered me. We serve a God who not only listens to our prayers, he answers us. Although that answer may not be what we want, but that's another sermon. For some of you, the lie is that you are unlovable, that no one loves you, that no one cares about you, that you are unworthy of love. And if I could just tell you right now, if that is you, that is a fat lie because I know someone right now who thought you were to die for. For others of you, the lie is that you are a failure. You're a failure because you got a divorce. You're a failure because you didn't get straight A's. You're a failure because you made that one mistake. You're a failure because you had to drop that class or you had to make that transfer or you still don't really know what you're doing in life. You still don't really have things figured out that you think you should have figured out. But y'all, God doesn't hold us to a standard of perfection. We are imperfect. We are flawed. His mercies are new for us every morning. And the truth is that God says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his masterpiece. So what is, what is the lie that the enemy has convinced you to believe? What has God told you that the enemy is now saying, God didn't say that. God told you that your marriage was gonna get over this rough patch and the enemies in your ear are like, mm, no, it's not. 
your kids that you have been praying for and desiring for them to come to church and to know Jesus, and you are standing on the scripture that says, train a child up in the way that they should go. When they get older, they won't depart. And the enemy's like, yeah, you should give up on that. That's not happening. Or you have no idea what your life is gonna look like in January, come summer next year, come this time next year, you are doing your best to anchor yourselves on the words of Romans 8:28, which says God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to the purpose. Called according to his purpose. Sorry, I messed that up. But the enemy's like, nah, it's not. Nothing's gonna work out for you in your favor. And I can go on and on, but now I wanna compare how Jesus encounters the enemy in Matthew 4. Round one, Jesus versus the enemy. Now Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting and fasting in the Bible, what we see in the Old Testament is just simply abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. So he's hungry and the enemy comes to him and he tells him to turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies, no. Scripture says that man shall not live on bread alone. Boom. Round one, Jesus got that. Now, round two, the enemy knows who he is up against. And as I said before, he is strategic and studious. So the enemy is like, two can play that game. So now the enemy tells Jesus to go to the highest point of the temple and then jump off. And what the enemy does right here is what I want y'all to catch. The enemy quotes scripture. He references Psalm 91 and how the angels will protect him and hold him up and he won't dash his foot on a stone. Y'all, the enemy knows the word too and he knows how to distort it and knows how to say certain things in a certain way to make you believe a lie, to make you do something he wants you to do. And Jesus responds, boy, don't play with me. Well, that's my translation. Actually, Jesus responds with scripture again for the second attempt of the enemy and says, you must, you must not test the Lord your God. Round two, but because of Jesus, you know, he gets a round three. So the enemy tries one last final attempt to try to get Jesus to worship him. And Jesus again responds with scripture and tells the enemy to leave and the enemy does. One of the things that happens when we don't focus on truth is that we allow the lies of the enemy to shape our thoughts, which ultimately shape our actions. Secondly, if we don't focus on the truth of scripture, we will rob ourselves of experiencing the gift Jesus came to give us. John, again, lets us know what that gift is. John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. One of the promises that is repeated in scripture is that as we focus on truth, as we focus on Jesus, as we focus on scripture, we will experience peace. This is a gift that Jesus wants us to open, to receive, and have every day in our lives. And not just any kind of peace. Look at what Paul says about this peace in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, 
which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. A simple definition for prayer is often simply communication with God. So whether prayer is contemplative, whether prayer is spoken, whether prayer comes in forms of tears or lament, another definition that I can offer for you for prayer is simply focusing our minds on Jesus, focusing our minds on the word, focusing our mind on truth. And Paul is letting us know that the peace that Jesus offers is not the same peace that the world gives. You see, worldly peace is usually defined by the absence of conflict, the absence of drama. Like, it's peaceful. It's a peaceful environment. Nothing is going on. But the peace that Paul is letting us know that we have access to actually surpasses all understanding. Like, it shouldn't make sense that you have peace given your circumstances, but you do. It shouldn't make sense that when you show up to your job, which is like, mm, this close to being toxic, that you show up in that space and you have peace. Despite what your coworkers say, despite what your boss says, you still show up with peace. It doesn't make sense that what your family is going through, that what your spouse is going through, what your children is going through, that you have peace and people are looking at you like, how are you not freaking out? How are you not stressed? How are you not crying every single day like it doesn't make sense y'all and this is the type of peace that Jesus offers us Paul continues in verse 8 he says this finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul just made back-to-back -back promises of peace. And as I look at those words, every bit of those words could define scripture, could define Jesus. But I just wanna focus, because we have limited time today, on the first thing that Paul says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that's what we are to focus on. But if we are honest, focusing on truth is not always our default. Instead, our default tends to be focusing on our feelings, focusing on the opinions of others, and focusing on our circumstances. Now see, I can speak on focusing on our feelings because I am very, very familiar with that. Our feelings are meant to be indicators and they are very poor dictators. So what happens, and again, God just literally showed me like, yes, Aisha, this is what you're doing and I want you to share this with your church. What happens is our feelings start to form a narrative in our minds that we finalize as truth. And y'all, our feelings can mislead us. I have been misled several times. And focusing solely on our feelings can cause wise people to do unwise things. And I'm not saying that we are supposed to ignore our feelings and dismiss our feelings and stuff our feelings. No, God gave us emotions for a reason. I believe that we are supposed to process them. However, don't put too much weight on your feelings. Don't let your feelings have the final say. 
Now this next one, the opinions of others. If we could be honest, if we could take a quick inventory of our thoughts, I think there is a common theme that results in a lot of the mind games that we experience. And that common theme is resulted in this train of thought. The thought that says, I wonder what so-and-so is gonna think about this. I wonder what so-and-so is gonna say about this. What are they gonna say when they find out about this situation? What are they gonna think when they find this out about me? And if you don't know, I'm from California. I lived in Los Angeles and my pastor there, PT, he used to say something all the time. And at one point I'm like, can you stop saying this? Like, it just sounds like a broken record. But I'm really grateful for it because it is something that has impacted my life. He said, we need to get delivered from the opinions of people. Can I get an amen somebody? We need to get delivered from the opinions of people. When we start focusing on that, when we start going on that rabbit hole, or as Bill said last week, when we get stuck in that rut, oh, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And then scripture, a very popular verse, tells us that we are called to walk by faith and not sight. But when we focus on our circumstances, we're actually doing the reverse. We're actually walking by sight, by sight and not faith. And we are prone to do this. I am prone to do this. And so were the disciples. In Matthew 8, there's a story of Jesus on the boat with his disciples. Jesus pulls a Maurice and just takes a nap for a second, a quick power nap. And then a storm comes and the disciples start panicking. They're like, Jesus, what's going on? Like they're stressed out. And Jesus wakes up from his nap, wipes the sleep out of his eye, calms the sea, and rebukes the disciples. And he rebukes them because the fact that they had Jesus on the boat, whose one of his names is also the Prince of Peace, should have outweighed the panic, the fear that came with their circumstances. And I know you've probably heard this said, but I'm gonna say it again. That true peace does not mean that there is not a storm. True peace you experience while you are in the midst of a storm, while you are in the midst of your circumstances. And if I could be completely transparent with you all, I have had five panic attacks in my whole life. All five happened when I moved to Colorado. That's another sermon. But I had two this month. And I mean, words do not describe what it is like for me to have a panic attack. I'm very calm, I'm very chill, and then I do what I'm telling y'all not to do. <laughs> I start focusing on my circumstances. I start focusing on what I see, and I just get, again, I don't have any words, but I start to have a panic attack. And there's a verse that I stand on whenever this happens or whenever I'm experiencing fear, anxiety, worry, stress, or feeling overwhelmed. And it brings me great comfort and I wanna share this scripture with you. It's Isaiah 26.3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
So well, um, as I'm having my panic attack, I start to focus on this truth. I start to focus on Jesus. I start to focus on this promise in scripture. And y'all, I'm not at a place where I can verbally say this. I'm at a place where I have to focus my mind on it. And as I do that, I begin to remember something that I tend to forget when I have a panic attack. And that's, I'm in control of my breath. That there is power in my breath. So I start to take a big inhale. And then I exhale. And then I keep doing that and I repeat that. And I keep my mind stayed on him. I keep my mind focused on this truth. I trust in this truth. And what in the moment doesn't seem possible? Focusing on truth, focusing on scripture, helps me eventually calm down and tap into the peace that God has given us that surpasses all understanding and has nothing to do with our circumstances. The last thing that I want you all to know today as we conclude this series is peace is a byproduct of focusing on truth. That's what those past few scriptures that I just shared reference. Our thought life can either be a place of peace or a source and a place of internal turmoil. As the band makes their way up to the stage. Family, I don't know what lies you are believing, what lies you have believed. I don't know the thoughts that keep you up at night. I don't know the thoughts that produce fear and worry and stress and anxiety, maybe produce panic attacks like what I experienced for myself. I don't know what thoughts are causing you to isolate yourself from your friends, from your family. But here's what I do know. I know that God's word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I know that God's word has transformative power. The verse that we've been repeating in every, in every sermon for this series is Romans 12, 2, which tells us, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew our mind as we focus on scripture, as we focus on truth, as we focus on Jesus. And another thing that I could tell y'all that I do know is that God does not desire for us to be in bondage to anything especially not our own minds. Last verse from John, again. John 8, 31, 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. So Jesus said to those sitting in the crowd today at Ascent or watching online, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As we focus on truth, we will see a significant change in our thoughts and ultimately our actions. We will feel more equipped to combat the lies that we hear and the lies that the enemy tells, that we tell ourselves. We can be liberated from the mind games that come from us putting too much focus on our feelings, on the opinions of others, 
in our circumstances. The last thing I wanna give y'all a practical thing to do is write down the thoughts, the lies that you wrestle with when you get home today. Then I want you to look at what scripture has to say about those things. You can use version, Google. If you have a study Bible, there's often an index at the back. Then as you have that scripture in front of you next to the lies, meditate on that scripture. Speak it out loud. Have it be an affirmation. When a lie comes in, speak that truth over that lie. Incorporate that truth into your prayer. If you wanna level up in your prayer life, start praying scripture. If you don't know what to pray, start praying scripture. What we focus on greatly impacts our thoughts, which greatly impacts our actions, which greatly impacts our life. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask right now that you would expose every lie that we have believed. Lies that we know we have believed and even those we are unaware of. God, we deeply desire to focus on you, to focus on truth, to focus on scripture, even though it's not our default. Holy Spirit, you're our helper, and I'm asking that you would help each of us to make focusing on truth, focusing on Jesus, focusing on scripture, our default. God, continue to speak to our hearts, continue to stir us, and help us every day, in every season, in every circumstance, to tap into the gift that you've given us your peace that surpasses all understanding. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. There is a table filled with the best food can you hear the father calling there's a seat just for you and at this table all is forgiven trading your chains of bondage for crowns of freedom all are welcome at the table there is a place just for you no condemnation at the table there is a place just for you just for you at this time we are going to transition to a moment of communion. If you are watching online, you can grab some bread, grab some crackers, some juice, so you can participate with us. For those of you in the room, you should have gotten your communion cup outside. 
If you didn't, please raise your hand and someone from the prayer team will happily serve you. This song kept coming on as I was worshiping and praying for today's message. I thought the lyrics were so powerful. It reminds me of the Last Supper when Jesus was at a table with his disciples, he said these words in Luke. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken for us. And then Jesus says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us on that cross. There's a scripture in Isaiah that says, he was pierced for our transgressions. And the peace that we experience came from the punishment that he received. As you drink this juice, thank God for his blood that was shed for you, for every single one of you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 